Revelation chapter 15, we'll be looking at those eight verses that are found in this chapter. And the title of, of this message is Song of Redemption. Song of Redemption. We've been anticipating the seven bowls of judgment, which is also the seventh trumpet or the third woe, if you remember. And this is the, this is the worst of this series of judgments that have come. That's why it's called the third woe. It's, it's like this is the worst of the worst. So since about chapter 11, verse 14, it's one point where you can make a reference. We've been looking forward and there's been these references to the coming judgments. Um, chapter 15 is going to do that too. It's going to be a song of redemption and we'll see uh, the angels coming out of the temple with their bulls. Chapter 16, um, it will begin. Um, so it's been somewhat of an interlude. But what's happened in this, although, if you will, the, the clock hasn't really moved forward um, on, on planet Earth, we're getting little snapshots of other things that have been going on. And so we've talked about the 144,000, we've talked about the Antichrist, we've talked about his persecution that's going on. So all of these things are, um, it's not like a, a ton of time has elapsed since we left this um, as we count time on Earth, but there's just different little vignettes of what's going on at this particular time. And John is many times, and he's going to do it again, has been looking forward prophetically to the end. So he talks as if it's already done. The redemption is finished, that we're in the presence of the Lord. And so this is going, we're going to get that same kind of element. If you will, chapter 15 is the deep breath before God's, and here it is, it's a great word that comes first, final judgment. This is it. It's the end of God's wrath upon the earth. And um, that until the end of the millennial, but we'll get to that later. But, but, you know, as we know it, and as man has known it since the beginning of, of creation, this will be the last stroke of God's judgment in these seven bowls that will be poured out. And as this, the, before these bowls are poured out, we get this last song um, that declares the faithfulness of God in redeeming um, the people of God. And this theme again that will come up that God is righteous in his judgment. We're going to spend some more time on this. But let's move into verse 1 where we see the, the, the announcement of the completion of wrath. Then I saw another sign in heaven, great and marvelous. Seven angels having the seven, and here it is, last plagues, for in them the wrath of God is complete. Um, so this is a great and marvelous happening. Um, it's not um, something that's going to be pleasant necessarily, but the end result of, of redemption certainly will be. And so he's looking forward. These vials or these bowls are going to be delivered by seven angels. And angels have been used in the past for judgment, haven't they? Probably the most uh, memorable of all of those would be the angels at Sodom and Gomorrah that uh, brought that judgment. So in history past, angels have been committed um, to this task of bringing judgment. But God's wrath will be complete. This is the last. And so 
not a big point, but it certainly is a point that's worth talking about. Um, as you go through the book of Revelation, is it running sequentially? So are the seals sequentially running into the trumpets, which are sequentially running into uh, the, the bowls with these different interludes that give us a different kind of angle at what's going on on earth? And, and I personally believe, yes, uh, you know, I certainly wouldn't want to argue with anybody over that. Others would say these are, are, are kind of layers of the same event. So it's like you have the seven seals that come back with the seven trumpets that come back with the seven bowls. And I can understand that because we'll look at this next week and we'll see the similarity between the trumpets and the bowls. And I can understand that. However, we get this indication of timing, which is the question we're discussing right now. And the, 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 the word that we have is that it's the last plagues, which tells us that the, there were ones that preceded this. That they aren't all running simultaneously. And that in this, the wrath of God is complete. And so it's, it's for reasons like this, which I realize are pretty fine in the, in, in the discussion, but that they are running sequentially and that they are not running as, as overlays of the same event. But God's wrath is going to be complete. It's a difficult read as we go into the next seven chapters, but the good news is it's the last of it. It's the last. The judgment will come to an end. And, you know, judgment is something that we are told by Peter has been prolonged from, from, from coming upon mankind because God's not willing that any should perish. Now we can look and say, come on with these seven bowls. But let's remember that at the end of the seven bowls, man will be judged. And the chance to, to receive Christ as Savior, as many will be doing through the Great Tribulation, that will be over. And so the Lord is patient and the Lord is long-suffering. Some interpret that patience and that long-suffering as slackness or even as an indication that Jesus was a false prophet. But he says, no, don't think that. This is to give you opportunity. It's to give others opportunity to come. And so... It has a day in which there will be no more judgment. Of course, the, the thousand-year reign of Christ upon the earth. As we move into verse 2, we see that there's redemption at the sea. And I saw something like a sea of glass, or a crystal sea we read earlier, mingled with fire. And those who have the victory over the beasts, over his image, and over his mark, and over the number of his name, standing on the sea of glass, having harps of gold. Uh, as we go through this, we're going to see that John is painting a parallel picture. Um, don't press it too hard, but just get the feel of it, get the texture of it, of the exodus of the children of Israel out from Egypt. And, and, and as you read through this, and as you see this, you begin to see these similarities between that great redemption that happened not at the Crystal Sea, but at what sea? The Red Sea, which this Crystal Sea seems to probably take on that color of red, being that there's that fire that's hitting this Crystal Sea. And we'll, and we'll see these other similarities that are taking place. But what we have gathered here are the saints that have gone through the tribulation and they have been 
um, martyred by the Antichrist. And they are standing before. They have had victory over the beast, over his image, over his mark, and over the number of his name. And so it's fitting that these tribulation saints are part of the scene that is in heaven that's readying herself to bring judgment upon the one that has brought the martyrdom. And so in other places we read about the, the souls of those that were under the throne of God that were praying for vengeance. And now here we have these that are there at the, uh, at the crystal sea and they're saying, you know, the, the idea is that they're about, they're a part of the judgment that's about to be unleashed on the earth because of what they've done against the Lord's people, these what I would call tribulation saints. But know what John calls them or says of them. He says, and those who have the victory over the beast have the victory. All right, so this is a, 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 a parsable. I'll give you a little flash of some Greek up there, Greek word. It's where we get our um, word Nike from. And it, it means to win in the face of obstacles, to be a victor, to conquer, to overcome, prevail. But they were put to death. How is that overcoming? How is that prevailing? How is that being victorious? In what way did they overcome an obstacle? I think all of our minds kind of go to that. And it's a great question. Well, one way in which we can see this is that they did not succumb to the deception of the Antichrist. Unless those days were shortened, everybody, nobody would survive. There's, a, a, there's a, a, an incredible deception that's going on in the world. And yet these, even in the face of martyrdom, said no to worship. They said no to this ruler called the Antichrist. They said no to the mark of the beast, which meant they couldn't buy, sell, or trade. They, they overcame because they weren't deceived as the rest of the world was deceived. They weren't, even in the face of death, they didn't succumb to his fury that said, deny Christ and worship me as a Christ. This is how they overcame. Let me read to you from Leon Morris in his book on Revelation. It says, John sees also those who had obtained the victory, which, spells out as, uh, which he spells out as over the beast and his image and the number of his name. Nothing evil can triumph over God's people. In the early church, uh, the day of a person's martyrdom was often called the day of his victory. Barclay comments, he quotes from Barclay, the real victory is not to live in safety, to evade trouble, cautiously and prudently to preserve life. The real victory is to face the worst that evil can do. And if need be, to be faithful unto death. These conquerors stand on the glassy sea. That's their victory. Their victory wasn't that they somehow dodged this guy and made it to the end alive. The victory is they stood right in the face of the worst man this world has ever seen and said, I don't think so. I'm not going to bow, and I'm not going to take your mark. Then I'm going to put you to death. And I, I can hear them saying, and probably quoting even from uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you can do whatever you want, but that's not going to change our commitment to follow the Lord. If, he, if, if you overcome us, then we die. But in the end, we are the victors. We are the ones that have 
uh, victory. Now, listen, maybe you're going through some circumstances and it seems like you're just being beat down. You're getting smashed down. It's like it's not everything seems to be going wrong. But let me ask you this. Are you standing and are you praising and are you looking to the Lord? Then you're a victor. And, you know, it, it, life's not fair, okay? And so what some people go through, it seems like there's a, an inordinate amount of difficulty that falls on some people. I'm sure you've thought about this too. It's like the people that seem to be the poorest have the worst things happen and, they can, and people take advantage of them. And then when you know, goodwill is shown to them, the goodwill is ripped off. And it's like, it's like there's just so much that, that happens. And there's others that just seem to have blessing after blessing after blessing. And this can trouble us. It troubled the psalmist until he went into the house of the Lord and he saw their end, right? He says, I nearly lost it until I understood the end. Here's the end. And this is what the word of God is saying, is that they had victory over the beast. Now, we're not facing the Antichrist, but I'm sure you're, you're facing something that challenges. And, and you're just thinking, is that, am I, are you with me, Lord? Uh, because it doesn't seem like I'm getting very far ahead. Measure it correctly. Don't measure it from the next five minutes. Measure it from the perspective of heaven. Now, you may look and say, yeah, but I want victory right now. Oh, okay, pray for it. Pray for that, you know, that circumstantial victory. Pray for things to, to look different. There's nothing wrong with that. But understand what the real victory is. The real victory is facing our difficulties and not succumbing to the temptation to say, I'm done. So, redemption at the sea. It's kind of this, this picture we have here of, um, uh, you know, they have... Um, pass through the difficulty and they're standing upon this Red Sea. The children of Israel were being uh, hunted down by an evil guy like the Antichrist and they passed through the Red Sea and they had redemption. And that's why we come into verses 3 and 4 and we have a, a redemption song for the ages. They, the ones that have the harps of God, these saints, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. One song, not two songs, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty, just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. And so there's this, how is the last song of Re Revelation similar? Uh, how can they sing in the, in the song of Moses once they pass through the Red Sea? How were they able to sing it? Because it's a song of redemption. They were redeemed. They were spared. And so Old Testament saints and the believer under the new covenant can sing the same song that says, great and marvelous are your works. Whether you are an Old Testament saint passing through the Red Sea or whether you're a New Testament saint going through this uh, redemption that we have in Christ Jesus, we both can say, great and marvelous are your works, O Lord Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Again, if you will allow me, I wonder, you can't really stop me, but just indulge me by listening and paying attention. Again, a quote, this time from John Phillips. He says, it is a twofold song. I love, I love this quote. The song of Moses and the song of the Lamb. The song of Moses was sung at the Red Sea. The song of the Lamb is sung at the Crystal Sea. 
The song of Moses was a song of triumph over Egypt. The song of the Lamb is a song of triumph over Babylon. The song of Moses told how God brought his people out. The song of the Lamb tells how God brings his people in. The song of Moses was the first song in Scripture. The song of the Lamb, this one, it's the last. The song of Moses commemorated the execution of the foe, the expectation of the saints, the exaltation of the Lord. The song of the Lamb deals with the same three themes. And so we have this kind of interesting parallel that the Lord is putting in there for us to consider. But he does say, great and marvelous are his works. Countless number of times um, we see places in Scripture where people are worshiping the Lord for the great things that he's done. They're worshiping him and, and praising him for the redemption that comes as a result of these seven bulls. I, I don't know that we should say that they're, you know, saying hip hip hooray, let's watch them suffer. I think that's the wrong idea. It's what the seven bulls bring at the end which is a, a cessation of judgment, which is a cessation of persecution, which is a, a, you know, we don't deal with sin anymore. And it's all because of redemption, and that is worth saying great and marvelous. And so some of these verses that we can find in Scripture, Exodus 15, 11, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? A wonder-working God, that's who has redeemed us. Job 5.9, who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number. So that means that God has room for one more marvelous work in your life. Psalm 105.5, remember his marvelous works which he has done, his wonders and the judgments of his mouth. We need to recall what God has done. We need to remember, this is like one of the greatest things about going over to Israel is just that. Because everywhere you go, you get to sit and remember what God did here. Now you can do that. You don't have to go to Israel to do that. You just read your Bible. And you get it. It's just kind of fun to be standing right there where it happened. And to kind of see the scene. But it's, we're called to remember the marvelous works of God. Not just for Moses. Not just for Joseph. But in your own life. Can you remember the marvelous works of God? And, and I, I just want to encourage you to do this, especially those of you that have young children, grandchildren. Rehearse your story of the marvelous works. Tell it like a Bible story, if you will. You know, let them know of how God has led you. Let them know of how God has redeemed you. Let them know of how God has worked. That's the thing about little kids. They love stories, don't they? Tell your story to them. Psalm 111, verse 2, the works of the Lord are great, studied by all who have pleasure in them. That's why we share testimonies. That's why we talk about what God has done lately. Yeah, we, obviously, we want to study the, the, the word of God, but I also want to know what God's done in your life. And we should be studying the works of the Lord in this way. So God is able to do the amazing and the incredible He's doing it in redemption here at the end of the age, but he's still doing it even now. Consider the great works that God has done. We talked about Joseph. We talked about the Exodus. But what about Gideon or Jonathan in his armor bearer? 
or David when he went to fight Goliath, or all the wonderful testimonies in the book of Acts. Rehearse them. Rehearse them. Go over them and be amazed by them. We read here that um, who's doing these great works? Lord God Almighty. This is one of the favorite phrases of John for the Lord in, in the book of Revelation. Seven times you probably could have guessed, right? We find the reference to the Lord God Almighty, which is it's a, it's a, a statement of his sovereignty and his rule and his power, which is what these seven judgments are going to be all about. Just and true are his ways, it goes on to say. Psalm 145, 17 says, The Lord is righteous. What does it say? How many? All his ways. All his ways. Gracious in all his works. There's not a way of the Lord or a work of the Lord that can fall out of being a righteous or a gracious thing. Everything God does is righteous and gracious, which is significant that it's said at this point in time about Lord God Almighty, who's unleashing the seven judgments upon this world. Because people look at the judgment of God and the ways of the Lord, and they will say, I don't want to serve a God like that. And they, they look and they say, well, that's, I wouldn't do that. So therefore, um, me being all-knowing, of course, and being all-compassionate and righteous in all my ways, I, if a God is going to do something that I wouldn't do, then he's got to be wrong and I've got to be right. And even among us as believers, we can begin to question the ways of God in our life. Now, this is not talking about a, a, you know, a personal issue that's going on. This is a, a global redemption issue, and God is righteous in all of his ways. But I just want you to think, if you've been questioning the goodness of God, his grace in your life, read, write it down, memorize it. Psalm 145, 17. It is a foolish and dangerous thing to bring a charge against God. Now listen, if it's in your mind, he knows it. I, I understand that. But that's, I think, when you go before the Lord and said, excuse me, Lord, I speak as a fool. In my heart, I am raging against you, and I have no right, but Lord, help me. I mean, this is how we come. It's not to stand there and to stick our finger in the face of God, especially knowing that he is the one that has redeemed us with his son's blood. Dangerous business. Lord, why did you allow this marriage to happen? Why did you allow my child to go through this? Why am I dealing with these health issues? Why does my job, why aren't you doing something? Well, we live in a fallen world. And we are redeemed, but this world is not redeemed yet. And so people do wrong things. And people, given their free will, turn their backs and they walk away from the Lord. They disobey the commands of the Lord. And... Yeah, these bodies are not going to last forever. That was settled at the, the flood. We were given a limited amount of years on this planet. And until the Lord gives us a new body, we are still under that limitation. And so people die because of sin. Not that they are sinners. Of course, we're all sinners. But not because of some specific sin that they've done, although that's possible. But we live in a fallen world where sin brings death. 
And we need to realize it. And it's a hard thing to realize intellectually when you are emotionally broken. So we better get it in our hearts and mind today if you're not in that storm. And you better begin to resolve. You know, one of the things I like to pray is, Lord, I won't ever forsake you no matter what. It doesn't matter, Lord. I don't know how we'll get through these things, but I know I will never forsake you. I will go through those trials and I will be faithful because you will sustain me. We say things and I get it. Oh, I could never go through that. Really? You could never go through that? God can't get you through that? God can't get you through the trials? You know, uh, well, that would just be too much for me. Are you saying that God's not true and righteous in all his ways? And so a good thing for us to remember. You know, we may not be able to see the justice and equity of God in the midst of our circumstances, but we know that God is just and equitable. And that's where you got to go. If you're waiting for your circumstance, and we're going to come back to this point again in just a moment, to manifest equity and justice, you may never see it in this lifetime. You may never see it. It will be manifest in the end. Because we will say true and righteous are your ways. But, but you know who God is. You may not know your circumstances and how God is working them and the why, but you know who he is. So as we like to say, don't forsake what you don't know for who you know. Write it down. It'll come in handy. And if it's not for you, it's going to be for somebody else. And he's the king of the saints. The New King James says, many of your translations will, some of them will say the king of, of the nations or king of the ages. The idea is that the Lord is a sovereign one over all things. Verse 4, who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all the nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. So this is a, a looking forward to the end of the tribulation. When the second coming has happened, people have made it through. You know, the, the unrighteous have been judged. Um, there will be those that are believing now in the, this kingdom age. And the nations are going to come. And is, it's like, who isn't going to come? They're, the nations are all going to come. They're into Israel to worship the Lord and to glorify his name. No longer are they going to be calling upon some other God as if he is holy. It will be upon the Lord and him alone. For all nations shall come and worship before you. For your judgments have been manifested. And so it's a rhetorical question. Who? No one. Everyone's going to come. Everyone is going to be there. And so let me read. Turn with me over to Isaiah chapter 2. Verses 2 through 4. Let's read one of the... Uh, Old Testament prophets looking forward to this same time frame when the nations are coming and they're going to worship the Lord. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. Now it shall come to pass in the latter days, we're reading about the latter days, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains. And so, I mean, around Jerusalem, it's all mountains. And shall be exalted above the hills, 
and all nations shall flow to it. Many people shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. And I love this. He will teach us his ways. Yeah, you don't have to listen to me anymore. You get to hear from Jesus. How awesome is that going to be to have him instruct us for in the kingdom from his house? Wow. And we shall walk in his paths. For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. What is that? Tanks are going to be tractors. That's what it's saying. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. That day has never come. That is not, not even close to ever happening upon planet earth. But in the latter days, it's going to happen. And that's what this song of Moses and the song of the Lamb is looking forward to when there is a cessation of judgment. There's a cessation of war. And all the nations are going to come. And what we read in that last phrase of verse 4, again, kind of coming back to this point I was making just a moment ago about the righteousness of the Lord. It says, for your judgments have been manifested. The idea of judgments here, it's, it's that you're doing a righteous deed. Judgments can be, you know, your righteous deeds are manifested. Again, another Greek word here, phaneros. And the word is become public knowledge, be disclosed, become known. God will make known in the hearts of all people in this last day that his deeds were righteous. Nobody's going to look and point the finger and say, I don't think that you did the right thing. Everyone that is, has survived will say, true and righteous are your judgments. There's going to be no questioning. But it's this idea of being manifested that we kind of talked about just a moment ago. Your circumstances may not be manifesting the righteousness of God right now. But be certain of this. When you have the opportunity to see everything from the vantage point of the Lord, when you know, even as you are known, then you will look at every one of your circumstances and you will say, righteous, Lord. What you did, that was righteous. And so again, we know who God is. He's manifested himself. We know who our God is, right? Our circumstances, we don't always get those. So focus upon who God is. And one day, all of these other things that are going on, They'll be clear. They'll be made manifest. And we will know that God is not only true and righteous, but everything he has done has always been righteous and has always been gracious. We are not infinite. We are finite. We don't know everything. And God has already told us up front, hey, I, I have a different way of doing things than you do. My ways are higher than your ways. So if you don't get it, it's okay, because I'm God. And, and really, I'm, I'm all right with a, a God that is bigger than my methodology. 
in my imagination. That he has a way to do things that go above me and beyond me. You know, I think of Jacob in the Old Testament. What does he say after his sons, uh, Joseph is taken away and then they go to Egypt and uh, you know, another son is held down there. What does he say? He says, all these things are against me. Well, you couldn't be more wrong, Jacob. Actually, those circumstances which have yet to manifest themselves to you are going to prove to you of the righteous and justice of God. Your son Joseph went down there and you, this famine in the land that brought your sons down there again was all for the preserving of you. This was God's plan from the very beginning. Oh, I didn't realize. We've all said that. Even, even in this life to another. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't realize that's what you were doing. <laughs> so we know who our God is. And he is true. And he is righteous in everything that he does. Moving on into verses 5 through 7. And here we see this solemn procession coming out of the temple of God in heaven. This is after these things I looked and behold the temple of the tabernacle of testimony in heaven was opened. The idea of the tabernacle of meeting kind of again taking us back to that portable um, structure that was with the children of Israel as they wandered through the wilderness. He doesn't refer to the, uh, the permanent structure. He refers to the tabernacle of testimony in heaven. And was open. And out of the temple came seven angels having seven plagues, clothed in pure bright linen, having their chests girded with golden bands. Then one of the four living creatures, having the seven angel, uh, gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls full of wrath, the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. So here's the scene. The, the, the saints who've come out of the tribulation and overcome have been martyred and brutalized by the Antichrist. They're singing and they're worshiping the Lord and they're singing the song of Moses and the song of the Lamb about the redemption of the Lord. And while they're there, the angels come out of the temple. And it's not, when, when we read there in verse 4, it says, uh, and behold, the temple of the tabernacle it's not just the general precincts of the temple. It's actually the Holy of Holies. It's the inner sanctuary that's being referred to here. And that's what they're seeing. And out from there, these seven angels come. Now, one of the four living creatures, and one had the, you know, the face of an ox, one had the face of an eagle, one had the face of a lion, and one had the face of what? A man. Now, it doesn't say which one of the four is having, handing over the seven bulls. And it, it will be all right. We'll figure it out when we get there. We'll watch and see. But just, I would imagine, it's going to be the, the cherubim that has the face of a man that's going to come because it's the judgment of mankind. It doesn't matter much to the story, but it's just an interesting thought to ponder. And so they come out, and it's a solemn procession. And they come ready to pour out there are seven bulls, there are seven plagues, which we're going to read about in chapter 16. But what are they? 
The first one is boils upon the inhabitants of the earth. The second is the sea into blood and all living creatures die in them. The rivers and springs turn to blood. Again, get these images again of, of the exodus, don't we? Darkness brings pain upon uh, the kingdom of the beast. The sun scorches the inhabitants of the earth. So there is going to be a global warming. It's just a little different than everybody's thinking. The Euphrates River dries up, providing the way for the armies to gather in the valley of Armageddon. And there'll be the greatest earthquake this world has ever seen in Hellstorm. And these are the seven judgments that they're bringing. But close there in verse 8. And we see the certainty of this day. The temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God. Now, this, this light, this kind of uh, cloud, that is not God. It's, it's like the, the robe of God, if you will. It's not God, but it's, it's his glory, a manifestation of his glory. And smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And here it is. No one was able to enter the temple till the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Now, this may be the very first time and the only time that that will ever be closed since Jesus died on the cross. And he took the wrath of God upon his body and that veil in the temple was ripped. Now it doesn't say that it was closed up. It's just that the, the awesomeness of God and his power and judgment at this moment is so intense. Nobody will go in there until what? It's completed. So we can read in times in scripture where the Lord stayed his hand of judgment. David, right, um, prayed to the Lord in his sin, and the Lord, um, you know, stopped the judgment. We read of Moses interceding for the people. There are times where we see um, the prophets interceding, and, and the judgment that has begun has, comes short, but not here. This is the last and the final, and God's judgment will be completed in this hour. And it emphasizes the idea that nobody can go in there until it's completed. It emphasizes the sobriety of the hour and the certainty of this judgment is not going to be delayed any longer. And so we will then, as we move into chapter 16, begin to look at um, each of these judgments, which if you want to do your homework, go back and read the seven trumpets um, and read these side by side. They're very, very similar, but not exact. And you'll see that um, it's, it's really, I mean, it's like the, it's the seven uh, trumpets intensified. And they come with a, a greater um, devastation. And it all will culminate in the end with, of course, the second coming of Christ and the establishing of his kingdom. So John speaks, in conclusion, John speaks of the certainty of redemption and the reign of God. There are dark days coming, more wrath, but it will, it's not going to be forever. Wrath will come to its end. And your circumstances and may, my circumstances may not at this time clearly manifest the justice and the righteousness of God, but God's righteousness and justice has been manifested to us. So don't forsake what you don't know for who you know. Father, we thank you that you are God that is righteous and just. And Lord, we confess, 
our minds don't always get it. And you told us we wouldn't always get it. That your ways would be higher. Your paths would be deeper. But Lord, you have always called us to set our focus and our attention on who you are. And help us tonight, Lord. Help us to just look to you and trust in you. And to know that you're not going to change. You have proven your love for us by sending your son to die upon the cross. And Lord, you want the reward of your son's suffering to its fullest. You want everyone that would be redeemed to receive. And we know this is why you are patiently waiting. We just, we worship you, Lord.